Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. Hey, She Slayers, welcome to another episode of She Slays the Day. I am your host, Lauren Brunslick. Um, So I'm excited for today's episode like a lot. It was actually not supposed to air until mid-December, but um, there's some timely advice in it as far as student loans go, and I wanted to give people as much time as possible to listen to it. So I bumped it up. So sorry to my other guests. I promise your stuff is coming. Um, but, you know, this happened. So what you'll notice, though, is we talk in it about uh, there's a couple times we reference like, oh, my gosh, the presidential election, because we recorded this last week. It wasn't supposed to be re- released until mid-December, but now it's being released on Sunday, November 8th. And we joke about like, that's so weird. Everyone listening will know the president. The future people listening know the president, but we don't. But I would just like to call out that there's a chance we might not know who the president is by then. Um, That's like less than a week later. So I don't know. There's the explanation. It wasn't supposed to come, but like it was, I, I, when I posted it on social, I said, this is one of my favorite episodes. Definitely, this is a top 10 episode right now. If you are a graduate, um, what health graduate anything, if you are coming with a couple hundred thousand dollars in student loans, if you have a mega dose of student loans, this is the episode you want to be listening to. It is really great. Um, she is not a chiropractor and she brings tons of knowledge to this. Um, Before we go there, though, I did have this like side note thing that happened this morning of like, so I'm on this journey in life. Y'all are with me, whether you realize it or not. Um, And of realizing how much of a people pleaser I am and how it's funny because nobody who listens to me or meets me would initially think I'm a people pleaser, but I'm a people pleaser like beyond healthy ways. Um, And that's a a hard line to straddle between 
between being borderline narcissistic and borderline people pleaser. But anyways, um, so in this journey of like, how did I become this way? How do I stop this? And like, how do I make sure that my girls don't deal with this? Um, my youngest, Ty, oh, God bless her. Um, she's a little spitfire. I love her so much. She has such a big heart, but she also has some anger management issues. So recently, her kindergarten teacher uh, reached out and said like, hey, so because Ty has had so many disciplinary referrals, <laughs> she qualifies for this program where and she's like selling it. And I'm like telling Kirby, I'm like, this is the 2020 version of the like, your kid's naughty. You need to like do something about it. So we're like, yes, we would love to participate in this program. So basically, she comes home with a report card every day of like how she how she was. And there's all these ratings in six different sections. And like a perfect score is like 18, three out of three in all these six sections. So she comes home. She got like a 15 out of 18 day one. And we're like, OK, not bad for day one. You know, we're talking through like. Oh, what what happened in gym class that you got twos? Like what what happened? And so we're like, OK, so next day she comes home and she is so excited to show us that she got this perfect like report card, 18 out of 18. And initially, right in the moment, Kirby and I are like, honey, we are so proud of you. You know, we're just like love vomiting all over her how proud we are of her that she was good and then this like kind of moment real we kind of like stop and it's like oh like this moment is lining up with me trying to figure out like how did I become such a people pleaser why is this such an issue and it was like oh wow I could totally see how she was looking for the feedback from us that like, look, I acted this way at school. Did I act the right way? Do you approve? And she was so happy to get that approval. So like my husband and I, like we just pivoted on a dime. Is that the phrase? I think it is good. Um, and we're just like, wait, wait, wait. But Ty, more importantly, how does this report card make you feel? How did you feel getting you know, acting good and not getting angry and biting anyone. Um, so I don't know. I just felt like I wanted to share that with people because as parents, there's all these crazy moments where you're like, whoa, you get to see like, that's how body dysmorphia happens. That's how they turn into people pleasers. And it's never like that moment. And I, we F up so much everywhere, but that was just kind of the most blatant in my face. Like this is a classic way that during her developmental years that we're training like her behavior, she learns to act a certain way to get approval from her parents. And it's like, damn it, parenting sucks it's so hard. That has nothing to do with today's episode. But anyways, so let's talk about um, our guest today. Today's guest is Megan Landris, and she's a consultant for student loan planner and a certified student loan professional. Um, she's the first in the state of Georgia where she was born and raised, and she inserts, go Braves! <laughs> 
Um, her specialized education around student loan debt allows her to guide borrowers, borrowers through informed repayment decisions, taking into account their full financial situation and financial goals. Megan started her own financial coaching practice in March of 2017, helping with the foundational areas of financial planning and student loans. She met Travis Hornsby, founder of Student Loan Planner at a financial planning conference, and two years later has been consulting with SLP ever since, in addition to her coaching, helping hundreds of borrowers, wow, wow, you guys, navigate their student loan situation. Yep, it's just a day, apparently. Um, So yeah, like I said, she brings it. She is educational. She has solid, solid advice. Before we go there, though, I want to make sure I do a listener highlight. Um, so this is from Emily and Aaron and his small town pride it says Dr. Lauren gave amazing tips for small town business owners in her number nine episode. Wow. So many takeaways for any small business owner in a small town. She's incredibly smart, has amazing ideas and takes risks. Thank you for that review. I really, really appreciate that. Um, so for all of you who are in small towns, um, yeah, episode nine, it's an old one, but a goodie because you do have to market a lot different in small towns than in big towns. OK, um, one more thing. Let's see. Uh, coming up very, very soon next Saturday, this coming Saturday, November 14th, I want to take uh, invite you to attend the summit, a free virtual online summit called Sublux Nation Summit. Um, me, along with nine other great speakers are going to be taking the virtual stage. It is a free event. Um, and I in my talk is going to be on how to inspire people with chiropractic using social media. So if you want to register, go to www.subluxnation.live. Um, mention my name in the referral section when you register. Uh, I don't get any kickback for that. That is just so they can kind of track how people heard about it. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a really cool event. Um, some really amazing women are going to be there. Some other amazing speakers. Um, yeah, so go do that. If you're listening to this after November 14th, rah, rah, sorry. You missed it. You should you should subscribe to the show better so you never miss an episode again. Um, okay. So last, last housekeeping, I swear. Uh, if you want to know more about student loans, I kind of reference in this episode Kirby's My Story and how we paid it off. So go back to listen to episode 39 and 40, which is how we paid off $175,000 in five years. And you will get much more details um, of our story and kind of what we recommended back then. So... Hold on, let's pray, and then I will release the Kraken on you on this episode. That didn't make sense. Dear Lord, uh, please be with everyone listening today and let them feel comfort in where they're at in their financial journey. I think anytime that we talk about numbers, numbers of any kind, um, but especially money numbers, it's just this like perfect feeding ground for lies to start seeping in and us to start feeling shame and guilt and comparison. And um, there's no room for that, for us to grow and step into the woman or man uh, that you have for us. 
chiropractic is a bomb ass career and some chiropractors are sitting out there not making as much as they thought um, and struggling to pay back their loans. And so be with them, assure their heart that they did not make the wrong decision and that the story is not over yet. And do not worry. There are so many, so many beautiful things to come in their story. So in your name, we pray. Amen. Okay, crew. So here is Megan Landris um, talking about paying back student loans. Okay, Megan. Well, thanks for coming on She Slays the Day podcast. Um, you're not a chiropractor. No, I'm not. That's I'm a okay. finance nerd. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you don't know me, um, but I mean, maybe you know me. It's all with Instagram. You know, social, my, yeah, social media. I know you, but not, not personally. <laughs> yeah. So I am like, I lucked out so much in marrying someone who was a finance nerd because oh, I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this. I joke, but it's not really a joke. And you're going to cringe when I say this, that like, I'm not a hundred percent sure how the money gets from my patient's credit card to my credit card company. <laughs> like there's a whole chain of events there that happens that like, I'm pretty sure now I do have a debit card because I've made so many jokes about it on podcasts that Kirby's like, okay, this needs to end. But I, for about 10 years, didn't know how to get money from an ATM. Like I apparently had a, a thing, but I didn't know the pin. And so I would just, how I would get money is take money out of my husband's wallet. So <laughs> just bad for a budget. So anyways, we love finance nerds. Um, there's a whole bunch of podcasts uh, that just bring on chiropractors and I love chiropractors, but sometimes we just like kind of all say the same shit. So I'm really excited. That's a whole long thing to say. I'm super excited to have you on today um, to like hear your finance nerd nerdiness. So welcome. Yeah. And we're, yeah. And I'm happy to dive in. So our, our topic I think is around student loan planning and that's a huge area of need I think in finance for chiropractors and yeah we just, should be able to cover that though like that'll be oh, easy yeah. right like there's not a lot to cover there <laughs> yep so I wish um, it was easy <laughs> yeah so I will I will play the role of dumb chiropractor that knows nothing about finance today you're welcome people I actually know everything I'm just gonna play stupid um no so before we jump in Megan can you give us like the 411, who you are, how you became a finance nerd, and kind of like your expertise. Yeah, so I am a consultant for Student Loan Planner, where we specifically help people with student loan debt. Um, as most folks probably know, student loan debt is a huge issue in the U.S. now. Um, one in four people have a student loan balance, and graduate students hold the majority of that student loan debt. Um, no, yeah. that's, not, that's not a competition we wanted to win. <laughs> right. And so and the federal system is is unfortunately really complicated to navigate. And so I, uh, I started out in finance just at a personal financial planning firm. And I continued to run into folks with mortgage sized student loan balances. And, you know, at the time, the advice was just, you know, pay it down, uh, pay it down as aggressively as you can. And you know, some of these folks had 200, 300, even $400,000 of student loan debt. And I'm thinking, this is a mortgage that we're telling people to like pay off. And, you know, it's still going to take us 20, 30 years to do that. Um, and so I, I just felt like there had to be a better way there had like, how did this get so bad? And so I, I dove into the federal system 
Um, I actually found my certification, this certified student loan professional designation that really took a deep dive on the legal side and the financial planning side of student loans and um, really fell in love with it. I, I love the nuances. Well, and this, everybody listening is probably going to be like, oh, I hate all, all of the things you're saying, <laughs> but I love the planning. I love the, um, you know, student loans are unfortunately complex, but I think, you know, there's a way to make it not complex and complement anybody's financial situation. So, um, but that's how, you know, that's how I came into this specialty. I met Travis, the owner of Student Loan Planner at a finance conference, and we hit it off as soon as we met. Um, just really, really cared about helping people with student loan debt. And so uh, that's, that's now what I do. That's what I focus on. Very cool. So like you kind of said that you started to um, like wonder, like, how did this get so bad? Um, so I don't, I'm not necessarily asking you to give a history lesson unless you know it. Um, but like, what, this is bad, right? Like we're in a bad situation and how, how did it kind of go this way? Yeah. So there's a, a lot of reason. There's never one reason. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a combination of a lot of things that just happened to combine together. But one big reason is the cost of attendance inflation. Um, that's something that year over year is it's surpassed like the inflation of wages. It surpassed the inflation of general just cost of living. Um, anything. It surpassed everything. Like you can generally expect tuition to inflate between three to like 8% year over year, which is wild. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's one part of the problem. The second part of the problem is schools don't really have an incentive to keep the costs down because especially for graduate programs, because there's essentially not a limit on how much you can borrow within the federal system. Um, so you have a limit on unsubsidized loans where you can only borrow 20,500, but and then you unsubsidized can, means they don't accrue interest while you're in school. They do they accrue interest. Oh, they do. Okay. Yeah. Subsidized loans. You could oh, get an sense. undergrad. Yeah. yeah. But you had the right idea. It, yeah. it is with interest accrual. Um, graduate plus loans is something that's available to grad students once they've surpassed that unsubsidized cap. And there is no limit. Well, the limit is the cost of attendance that the school says it's going to cost for you to go to school. And so if the school says it's going to cost you 50 grand a semester, you can borrow the 20,500 for unsub and then above and beyond the graduate loans. So there's no incentive for these schools to keep the cost down, they get paid immediately. They only get penalized based on like a default rate. Like if the majority of their students are, or a certain percentage of their graduating students are in default, then they get penalized and they can't lend federal loans anymore. But that's also the big part of the problem. There's just not a reason for them to make it more affordable because you can borrow as much as possible. And then there's forgiveness opportunity with any of the federal loans. Um, And so it's just kind of this mess that has gotten to this point. So that's why we have trillions of student debt outstanding right now. Oh my gosh. So now who would that be um, like a federal law that would have to say like, Hey, we're going to cap this in or like, we're going to say like, this is the grad plus cap that all of a sudden like 
schools would have to go like, oh shit, okay, now our students might not get as much, but like, is the whole the whole system's probably just gonna implode before that happens anyways. But um, okay, so uh, within chiropractic, it's so funny because I didn't know you worked for student planner. And so some of the stats that I pulled, you're probably like, yes, I have those stats also. <laughs> but like, as far as average salary for chiropractic, it is all over the board. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this makes total sense. So I've seen as um, like average being 60. And remember, anybody listening, please, just anybody listening, these are averages. So when I say the average is 60, and if you're like, oh, I only make 55, keep in mind that for every person who makes, you know, however, 200,000, there had to be somebody making like 30, you know, so like, don't feel bad about yourself when we're throwing around these numbers. Um, Cause I feel like there is a lot of shame and guilt when you start talking about finances and stuff like that. But anyway, so I've seen, you know, the average chiropractor making 60,000. Traditionally, I've always seen like this 80 ish number. And so in 2018, it was like, yep, 80 some. And then all of a sudden out of like left field in 2020, this is the highest I've ever seen the average salary be. It was like 151,000. And I was like, mm, no, I don't know where that stat came from. Um, so I don't think that's true. But so let's just kind of go with traditionally uh, it's around 80. And there's this phenomenon that's happening within chiropractic is it used to be when you graduated, you needed to like go be an entrepreneur. You needed to own your own. And now, like, I like to say it's because more women are coming into the profession um, that we're creating this environment for, like, partnerships and allowing, like, more balance of work life of, like, well, you don't have to work 50 hours a week if you don't want to. Do you want to, you have young children at home, do you want to work 20 hours a week and then also be part-time mom and make 40,000 and you know so like that's what gets really complicated is the person who chooses to balance work life you know is still coming out with the same amount of debt which mm -hmm. is like $240,000 for chiropractic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think your averages are spot on I think and that's what I see day to day when I'm working with someone in, in chiropractic I think 60 is maybe average for starting out. Maybe if you're at like another practice, I think 80 I've seen is pretty average for someone starting their own practice, getting up and going. Um, I think that 150 is, I definitely want to know where they got that. Yeah, number. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm -hmm, yeah. But uh, averages are also dangerous. So just like you said, averages really don't tell the full story because, you know, I think median might be a better um, assessment, but I think, you know, about 80 is, is good. And then 250, I would say 240 to 250 is definitely the, the average that I see for student debt balances with, um, the chiropractors I work with. And so when we have 80,000 of income and more than double our income in student debt, that, that is really overwhelming for folks. Um, and this, is, I will say from a profession, professional standpoint, I, I see chiropractors and I would say dentists are probably the worst with income to debt ratios when they graduate. Um, and, you know, that's not to scare you. I mean, I know if this is a profession that you're wanting to go into or that you love, the student debt can be manageable. As long as it's federal, there, there are federal forgiveness programs we can pursue. And that helps. Um, 
So if we have someone working part-time or if we have someone working full-time hours with the same amount of debt, you know, we can have access to income-driven payments that proportionalize that income uh, or proportionalize that payment off of your income. And so it's going to be workable no matter what your work situation is. It'll just be a matter of what does that forgiveness timeline look like and what does that mean once we get to that forgiveness uh, threshold. So can we talk about forgiveness a little bit? So I feel like, especially right now, holy cow, with um, COVID and, you know, a lot of Democratic presidents in the past and potentially in the future, which, by the way, you know what's weird? By the time our episode airs, it'll be after the election. It'll be like, so we don't know right now the outcome of what's going to happen. So anyways, um, so like Democratic president or not, I feel like that tends to be like a big like universal student loan forgiveness. I mean, we can get into like whether you think that's actually ever possible, but specific with chiropractic, we really get a short end of the stick with forgiveness, don't we? Like it's pretty much like, all right, maybe that's more with... um like working for nonprofits and like in rural yes. areas, like doctors are like, oh, you're working in a rural area. 10 years, we'll just say goodbye. Chiropractors, not for you. Um, mm-hmm. Not yeah. for you. <laughs> but what is the current forgiveness situation? And do you recommend people kind of like hang on and try and like hold out for that? Yeah, so there's two different types of forgiveness, um, two, two main types of forgiveness that chiropractors could have access to. And you'll have access to one or both. So anybody with federal loans will have access to one or both. And um, so the first is public service loan forgiveness, which I think you were alluding to, y'all do kind of get the short end of the stick here because there's not a lot of public service opportunity for chiropractors unless you go and start uh, a legitimate nonprofit mm-hmm. um, you know, practice for yourself or you join one. I have seen some that are legitimate. Um, but public service loan forgiveness after 120 qualifying payments, which does shake out to be about 10 years if you're consistent in public service, um, whatever balance is left over is then forgiven. And so it can be a really attractive route for someone who's dedicating their, their career to, to public service work. Now, that's one end of the spectrum. The other end that everybody has access to is uh, each of the income-driven repayment options within the Fed system, which there are four. There's four different income-driven plans. You could have access to all four or maybe just three, depending on the types of loans you have and when you borrowed. But each of them have a maximum repayment period of either 20 or 25 years. And what that means is you make payments based off of income for that, that period of time, whatever balance is left over once you hit that 20 or 25 year threshold, uh, whatever balance is left over is then forgiven. And so that's a lot of times the conversations I'm having with chiropractors because a rule of thumb that tells me that that's a good direction to consider going is when someone's balance is much greater than their annual income. And that is usually the case with chiropractors who have you know, six figures of student loan debt. And so instead of paying it all off, you know, treating it like a debt and paying it all off, we actually have the total opposite mindset. We want to pay as little as possible to maximize how much we get forgiven. Um, The only notable point on the longer term forgiveness is there is a potential tax implication for that forgiven debt. 
So that's something that we factor into the planning and make sure that that still makes sense, that if we have to pay taxes on the forgiven balance, we save for that in conjunction with our payments and it all makes sense from a total cost perspective compared to other routes. But um, those are the- But I mean, in that scenario, like, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, So I'm going to throw around, I'm very bad at math. So everyone listening, don't be like, Lauren, that doesn't add up. Okay, so let's say I have $200,000 of student loan debt. I am going to do the whole 25-year thing. Um, Side note, if you remember, I do want to know what happens if I die at 21 years and not 25 years. Like, what happens to that debt? But we'll come back to that. Um, So I get to 25 years, and let's say over 25 years, I have paid $300,000, but my debt still hasn't been paid off. Let's say there's like 50,000 still more. And then I have to pay taxes on that. Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of have, is it, am I right in thinking that you kind of have to be okay with the idea that like, well, if I'm going to go the long route, I'm going to live more comfortably, but stretch this out longer and end up paying the government $400,000 in the end by the time taxes and blah, blah, blah. But I was able to live more comfortably within my means versus the other mindset of like, no, I'm going hard at this for like seven years. I'm going to eat rice and beans. I'm going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I am only going to end up paying two fifty instead of $400,000. Mm-hmm. Am I thinking about that kind of like decision tree that you have to make? Yeah, some, yeah, I think that's, there are pros and cons to both routes and it does, a lot of times the the decision comes down to not only the total cost, um, a lot of times it, it might be cheaper to go the forgiveness route, even with the tax implication factored in. We might end up paying less um, than we would if we had paid it all off on an accelerated schedule. Because if we, and we can talk through the math on that maybe, but um, but if it's close, so I think your example could be close where their income's pretty high, their balance is not, double their their income. And so we might pay a little bit more to go that forgiveness route, but you have it spot on to where you do have to kind of make that decision on if you want to prioritize the student loans and pay it off really aggressively to, because I think there should be, you should take your debt one of two directions and only one of two directions. I think if you go anywhere in the middle, you pay way more than you need to. I think you should either take the really aggressive route pay it down as soon as possible, reduce that, that cost over time. Um, or I think you should be really passive, mm-hmm. pay as little as possible, maximize how much we get forgiven, but also do something productive with that extra cash flow. You know, put that towards savings, put that towards your financial future. That can really help you get ahead. Because um, so I, I think- middle ground is the dangerous part. And I, I'm remembering as you're talking about this, of like, oh yeah, that's right. That's why- we went hard at it because a couple years into practice, we were, I was doing well, we were doing well. And, um, he, mm-hmm. my, my husband, well, calculator, uh, went like, we're going to pay this off to like, if we just made the same amount of money, didn't get poor, make less money, but it didn't even make more money. If we just made the same amount of money, we would pay off your student loans in 23 years. Mm-hmm. So we would miss the forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Like nothing would have gotten forgiven and we would have paid 
a, a lot because our income based repayment thing was like going with our income. So it's yeah. for the people, these chiropractors that like start to like in the beginning, you're like, I'm not making much. Then you would recommend going with like be passive, pay the minimum amount, any extra money you have, don't throw it at your loans, put that in investments and things like that, pay off your house, yada, yada. If you're like killing it, then go balls to the wall. But like the middle mm-hmm. ground is where you're like, oh, I'm making $120,000 a year and my debt is 180000 That's where people mm-hmm. are probably going to get like, t- need to talk to somebody like you and go like, all right, what do you got to, what are you going to do here? Because that's where you probably get screwed. Yeah. And I think sometimes people who are kind of in that middle ground, it, it is a lifestyle decision at that point. Like, you know, we have to be okay with having a longer payment trajectory if you want to not prioritize the loans. Um, But, you know, I think, and so I was just kind of running some numbers here. So using, let's say we have, um, let's use the average, the 250 for the student loan balance. Let's use the average income for a chiropractor of 80,000. And let's kind of see what that does over time. So, um, for the 25 year plan, so revised pay as you earn is a 25 year payoff schedule or, um, maximum repayment schedule. Is that one of the four you said how there's like four of them? Yes, there's four. Um, so repay most folks should have access to, even if you borrowed like really early on. Um, but based on that trajectory, if your income grew at a regular, maybe 3% growth rate over time from the 80,000, um, based on your payment trajectory, you would pay about 213 uh, on a debt that you started at 250 on. And the remaining balance, once you hit that 25-year time frame, would be 355. So the balance would grow. And this is another Ooh. thing that people have to kind of wrap their heads so around. <laughs> you're at like, oh my God. So then do you have, so $355,000 would get forgiven. In that, three fifty five would get forgiven. Mm-hmm. And you then, only paid two thirteen in. Mm-hmm. Your balance grew, so you're pretty much just paying interest. Yeah, but then you pay taxes yeah. on the three fifty. Yep. So the three fifty five. So let's say the tax code. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me right, make you better. Yeah. <laughs> So th- what's interesting is, and you mentioned, you know, there, there's so student loans are a hot topic in Congress right now. And for years, they've been talking about potentially eliminating this tax implication. And so let's say that's the case. Let's say they do away with taxes that are owed on a forgiven income driven payment um, trajectory. Then you walked away only paying 213 on a debt that you owed 250 on. So that's where you win. But also the other side of the coin, you, so the taxes off of 355 um, estimated worst case scenario, you'd owe about 142 in that year. Wait, like $142,000? Yes. Oh, fuck. Because they would act as if you made that 355 as income. and you'd have Oh, to shit. Yeah. So you yeah. got to start planning for that too. Yes. And so, and, and that sounds horrifying. It sounds really horrifying, <laughs> Megan. <laughs> like, I don't, 
like, let me break drop apart the mask. on the thing and I'm like in a cold sweat over here. I don't even have student loan debt. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. But let me break it down to where people on the call, you know, people listening in are, aren't having cold sweats after, after this either. But so, you know, that brings our total cost. So if we add how much we pay towards the student loans and how much we pay towards taxes, that's about three, almost exactly how much we got forgiven, 355. Um, and so what that looks like from, you know, if we had to save for the tax implication, when we break apart the math to figure out how much we'd have to have just, you know, building up in that, uh, you know, if we were investing it, um, we'd have to save about 260 a month in addition to our student loan payment, which is based off of income. And so that payment would be about 500 based off of these numbers we're talking about. Um, and so from a total, like how much you have going towards your student loan situation, it would be about call it 700 to 800 a month. Um, now this total cost of 355 is actually pretty darn close to the total cost of if you tried to pay this all off in 10 years. So what I mean by that is if you decided to take the really aggressive route, squish the payments into 10 years, throw 2,800 towards it, because that's what it would take based off of this balance, um, you would pay 345. Your total cost would be 345 compared to 355 with the payments over the 25 year time frame, savings for the tax implication that might not be around. And so that's where like we have the conversation on lifestyle. It's, you know, it's close mm -hmm. to the same cost, but do you really want to soak up 2,800 a month going towards this debt for the next 10 years where, you know, that could be going towards other things that are productive? Yeah. I'm glad you... I'm glad you um, brought that up because my next question was going to be, well, okay, so if I'm saving $700 a month, 500 goes towards the loans, 200 goes towards savings to pay off mm -hmm. loans in 25 years, mm -hmm. what would happen if I just instead sent 700 to the loan people? Like, mm -hmm. would I pay it off type of thing? And but it sounds like it's like, no, that extra 200 bucks isn't really going to move the needle that much. No, it's not. And that's what's tough because I think we're taught like traditional debt advice, really to kind of back it up or to really shine a light on federal student loans. We do have to throw like our uh, traditional debt advice out the window. We have to throw logic out the window because you know, we have these forgiveness opportunities, we have these income driven plans that just don't exist with other debt. And so we can't really treat it like regular debt, we have to be a little more, we, we can leverage a lot more, which is really beneficial. Um, but that's, that's an example of how we start to walk through the numbers. And, you know, let's maybe so one of the other plans pay as you earn, which is actually a shorter time frame. So 20 years instead of 25. You have access to this if you don't have any loans prior to October 1st, 2007. So anybody who's you know, okay. graduated for the, pretty recently, um, that's actually a lower cost. So we talked about 355 being the total cost for repay. Pay, we're done five years sooner. And that total cost is 330. Okay. And so that actually shakes out to be less, including the tax implication savings less than what it would be if we were to kill it and pay it all off in 10 years. And so that's when I start to ask the question of, you know, why would we pay it off faster? It feels so it wrong is. to say that. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, because 
Because then you get to brag that you paid off your student loans, but yeah. you're right. Kind of like it's an, it's an unusual debt mm-hmm. and it's a messed up game. Yeah. So like, are you actually winning at the game if you, mm-hmm. hmm. And what's interesting too. So I like to talk about the value of that oper- So the opportunity cost of that extra money in your pocket. So let's say, you know, it takes 2800 a month to pay it all off in 10 years, but only 700 to go the longer term route. You know, that's an extra 2100 a month that you can have going towards building your practice, towards retirement, financial independence. And we know, you know, just like traditional debt, advi- debt advice that we have kind of ingrained, we know that saving early and often is really impactful. And so if we're able to save, you know, let's say we just took that difference. We took the 2100 that we're not throwing towards the student loans, throw that towards our investments for our future. My goodness, we are above and beyond ahead of the game. Um, and someone who took that, that shorter term route, squished the payments in 10 years, couldn't probably do that. They'd, they'd have to really, they'd have to put future stuff on hold to tackle the debt uh, and have it paid off. So it almost shoots you in the foot a couple times. Yeah, it really does. I'm like, over here, like, damn it. Why did it pay off my loan? Um, <laughs> so what are some of like, let's kind of play with this $2,100 and let's, um, let's say that I'm a 26 year old female. Um, where would you recommend that they really like, are you, are you, do you think paying off debt is the priority and then saving for your future or saving for your future and then paying off debt? Like where, where would you kind of recommend? Yeah, I think, um, so there's definitely a priority order in my mind of what, what should be tackled. So I think if you're 26, you're just starting out, you have your income coming in. Um, I think if you fall within those parameters where your debt is much greater 2x times your income, um, we should probably be going that forgiveness route for your student loans. And so that with that said, we're not prioritizing the the federal loans. We'll get on that income-driven payment, start setting up savings for the tax implication. But then that 2100, so priority order there, I would say first and foremost, if there's credit card debt in the mix, tackle that. You know, take that, throw it straight towards the credit card debt. That's the most expensive debt that you can have. Typically, credit cards are like in the 20% range or more. Um, Knock that out. Once that's done, I would set up, you know, definitely start building your emergency savings. So this is for, you know, that's the rainy day fund. If income is impacted or if something unexpected happens that doesn't really come out of your cash flow, um, that bucket is what will prevent credit card debt in the future. And so I think a healthy rule of thumb is maybe three to six months of necessary expenses there. And then once those two priorities are checked off, I think, again, if we're not prioritizing the the student loans, I would start putting that towards your financial independence for the future. So Maybe. if you're at an employer, so retirement or oh, okay. making, making <laughs> work optional. <laughs> Sorry, my, my, uh, my finance jargon. <laughs> But um, that's where you can start putting, you know, if your employer has an account like a 401k that you can start putting money in, you can contribute up to 19500 a year into that. 
Um, if they have a match, that's free money that they have going towards your retirement that you can take advantage of. Um, you know, that additional cash flow could, if we've got you know, some money going towards retirement, we can then start maybe reinvesting and for building our own practice, or if that's something we want to do at some point, maybe starting to save for that, uh, save for any shorter term goals, like buying a home, um, buying a Are car. You, you have an employer who, um, cause like for our employees, I think we match like 3% or something up to 3%. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. would that kind of almost jump in priority before the emergency fund of like, you need to make sure that you're taking advantage because that is free money. It is. Yeah. So I, I can argue both ways. I would say, you know, definitely hands down, try to get the match. If you can do both in conjunction, start that, that retirement and start your emergency. Yes. And is preferable. (laughs) Yeah. I would say that would be the goal. Um, and then once emergency savings is funded, then maybe increase contributions to retirement at that point. Um, And then another thought too, so you definitely want to be planning for like intermediate term stuff or shorter term savings stuff. So that's where maybe a brokerage account could come into play or a higher yield savings account, for example. What's a brokerage account? So brokerage account would be, you know, money that's invested, but it's not tied up in a retirement shell. So meaning like your 401k or an IRA, you can't access before 59 and a half without a 10% penalty. Um, And you'd have to pay taxes on what you withdraw. Um, Is that even if you use it for, because aren't there some, aren't there some like rare um, Mm -hmm. things that you can like get it out without that, like for starting a business? You can't, so there, and it also depends on your employer plan, but generally you can pull from your 401k for a first time home purchase or an extreme financial hardship or medical emergency. So there, there there's certain provisions where you can pull it, but I would say if you need to pull from your 401k for those things, that may have been poor planning on your part. We may have, don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. Okay. Yeah. That's where that, that brokerage account, I think, comes into play. And that's, you know, the money is invested. We don't need it tomorrow. It's not our emergency money because we don't want it kind of fluctuating with the market. But we can access it, no penalty at any point in time. And so this is a great bucket for things that are maybe, you know, five, 10 years out. Um, you know, whatever that is, buying the house, uh, starting a family, building the practice, you know, where you can get a little more return on your money than a traditional savings account, but it's not as aggressive as your retirement account. Um, so that can be a really good like intermediate bucket if you want some more places to put extra money. Okay. All right. So back to the death question. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what if I die? <laughs> well, that's, a, that's an easy one. Um, federal student loans are a hundred percent dischargeable if you were to pass away or become a hundred percent or totally disabled by social security's definition or by a physician statement. So it does not carry on to your family. It doesn't linger around after your death. Um, Private loans are a little different. Okay. I was going to say like, do a lot of people like chiropractors and dentists have, they have a good chunk of private loans though. Right. Cause I feel like I started with federal loans and then all of a sudden I would just like get mail being like, we sold them. And now you go to Great Lakes and then like Great Lakes would send me a thing be like, we also sold it. And like, yeah, (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. So what that actually is, is, 
Yeah, federal loans, and there was a big hit track history of this, you know, within the last decade, but um, federal student loan servicers are contractors. They don't actually own your loans. They just service them for the federal government. And so their contracts expire every once in a while. And so they do get moved to different servicers, whoever got contracted. So that that's actually going to happen at the end of next year again. So just be okay, aware. So it's still a federal loan. Yeah, it's still federal. Um, but private, so private loans are those that are not within the federal system. They don't have access to income-driven plans. They're with a private. You didn't apply to FAFSA. Is FAFSA yes. still a thing? It is, yeah. Okay. I feel so old. Of like back in my day, we had FAFSA. Yep, it's still a thing. Uh, but yeah, private private loans could have been issued. Typically, I find people needing maybe private funding more so for undergrad because they don't have access to those graduate plus loans and they have smaller minimums on what they can borrow for Fed loans. Um, now, private loans, they're a little different than federal when it comes to death and disability. Depending on their terms, they probably are not going to be discharged. They will likely stand in front of your family members if you had assets or life insurance to be paid because they're a creditor. Um, so that's something to be aware of if you have private loans or if you refinanced. Um, you might want to make sure you have appropriate life insurance coverage uh, or disability insurance coverage. And I would say life and disability insurance coverage. <laughs> but um, federal loans, uh, that's the quickest way to pay them off. It would be to die or become disabled, but I don't re recommend going that route. <laughs> okay. All right. So last like topic and it's kind of a doozy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's talk about COVID. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was watching... SNL like months ago, COVID was still happening, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. And Michael Che during like the weekend report was talking about how like he's getting emails from like Target and Macy's and all these different things telling him his COVID policy, but his student loans are like crickets being like, we're not going <laughs> to tell you anything. So what is happening in the student loan COVID world? Yeah, that's um, this year we've definitely seen some changes across the board, so many different things. But for federal student loans, well, maybe let me say private student loans barely got any relief. Um, there was no widespread student loan relief for those who have private loans. Um, they That's kind of a disadvantage of having private loans in general. They're just far less flexible. Um, but federal loans, on the other hand, they paused payments and they froze interest at 0% um, starting in March. And that is good all the way through January now. It was originally set to expire in September, but Trump via executive order extended the payment pause and, and froze interest until December 31. So that's kind of the status there. If you have federal student loans, you haven't been required to make payments. Um, they shut off the auto drafts. And actually what's really nice about this is if we're going the forgiveness route, these months still count towards forgiveness. And so even if we're not making payments, these, you know, this counts towards our timeline, which is really positive. Um, that is really positive. Yeah. Um, so again, you kind of find yourself of like, so what you should be, what should you be doing? It mm -hmm. kind of depends on mm -hmm. whether you're doing the most passive thing and the smartest thing for you makes sense to like wait it out 25 years. So what would that person do right now? If they're like, they should just not be paying anything. 
Correct. So passive, if we're going the passive route, um, don't make payments. It doesn't give you extra credit. It does not uh, speed up your timeline. Uh, and you can actually ask for a refund. So if you've made payments <gasps> since March 13th, you can. No way. Yep. So if you are listening to this and you're like, oh man, I, sh I shouldn't have been making payments, call your servicer and just ask for a refund. They will not give you any trouble for it. Um, and you can ask for it as far back uh, as March 13th if you've made payments between now all the way up until December. Uh, or uh, sorry, March 13th to now, you can ask for a refund. Um, and then put that towards something else. Don't put that towards your student loans. <laughs> right. Put, so put that would be the thing on credit there. card. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So do nothing. So then the other people, then, the other people who are like, oh, shoot, we, we're going to go at this. It makes the most sense. Um, are they just, should they just be pouring as much money as possible at this? Potentially. So I think if your route is to pay them off aggressively, um, I would kind of protect yourself and I would just hoard that savings. So if okay. you're, you know, throwing a ton of, you know, if you want to throw a thousand or a couple thousand towards the student loans uh, to take advantage of the zero interest, because your, your dollars will go a little further with no interest being charged right now. But I would protect yourself and just throw that into savings for now. Um, even if you're, you know, if your savings account is giving you 1% interest, you're making money on what you're about to dump onto the loan. So, and then I would dump it on right before the 0% interest uh, is lifted, which as of right now, I would do before January. But that way, if you need that savings, yep. you have it. You didn't dump it into the system. Um, and you can, you know, use it if you need to. But if not, you can throw that towards the loans and have that work towards your favor in that way. Okay. Um, yeah, great. great. <laughs> How do you feel? Do you feel overwhelmed? There's so many people who are like <laughs> pulling over and like calling their husband right now being like, get a fucking refund right now. <laughs> call them. Um, sorry, that was patronizing. Women, you call and get the refund. You don't need your husband. Um, just me. Just me. Okay. So, um, what, what kind of like final thing feels really important, uh, for a chiropractor to know that we didn't cover what's kind of like that. Um, so I would say maybe the last thing that I think I, I see often is I'll see chiropractors come and, and review their student loan situation years after maybe they should have, or they know they should have. And I think that's because student loan debt is really overwhelming and it's easier to maybe ignore it or avoid it for a long time. Scary. Like, it is. Talk, my yeah. husband and I talked about it in our payoff episode where it was like, it's, it's kind of the equivalent where, you know, like stepping on the scale, like it's not going to be good. And you're like, well, maybe I can lose weight without stepping on the scale. And it's like, you need to step on the scale. So you know what the number is like, that's the first step. Yeah. Just find out how so much I think, Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just, and it also a lot of times, I will say a lot of times we end our call or we, you know, after looking at your situation, it's not as bad as you thought it was going to be. And so delaying putting a plan together or having an idea of what your plan of attack is going to be um, can only make things worse or only maybe put you backwards a little bit. I think tackling it head on, it's definitely scary, but it may not be as bad as you think. And there will be a plan that works for you. 
So okay. I think that's maybe the positive note to end on. <laughs> yeah. I like you. Can people work with you? Like, can people work specifically with you? Or how does that, how does that, because yeah. you're talking about referencing, like when I'm on a call with people, like, so how does mm-hmm. that work? Yeah, so I um on with student loan planners, so you can find me on student loan planners website, uh just studentloanplanner.com. Um to book a consult with me, I currently consult on Mondays and Wednesdays all day. So if you have availability on one of those days, you'll be put on my calendar. Um and if you wanted to specifically work with me and you landed on someone else's calendar, you can always just email uh whoever it is and we can switch it out, but Um, yeah, our team has four consultants, uh, five, including Travis, our owner. And that's all we do on, on those calls. We talk through your student loan debt strategy. We also talk about what that's going to look like long-term, how to pivot when life things happen, um, compare that to other options and start to strategize, uh, overall how that fits into your overall plan. Um, yeah. So you can find me there. <laughs> and what's, what's the cost to work with someone like you at student loan planner? Yeah. So we charge a flat fee. Uh, it's by debt level. Okay. So two, 200 and below it's three ninety five uh, for the consultation, the plan, and then six months of email correspondence. Um, and then it's a hundred going uh, an additional hundred, the following debt levels. So 200 to 400,000, it's four ninety five. 400,000 and above, which some of y'all probably gasped and you're like, Oh my gosh, that's a lot. Everyone's like, <laughs> Everyone's like Whoa, I'm only 280. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 400 and above is 595. So very straightforward flat fee, um, comes with the six months of correspondence as well. Yeah. And you are talking about saving people thousands. I mean, thousands just yeah. alone has been amazing. So All right. So remind people, I know you just threw it in there, but like how do people find you, follow you and get a hold of you? Yeah. So studentloanplanner.com, great resource. Uh, We have a blog, a podcast. If you wanted to find anything about student loan, any student loan topic at all, Um, you can find me. So I have my own personal Instagram, financial coach, Megan. You can find me that way. And I spell my name weird. So it's M-E-A-G-A-N. Uh, I was telling, yeah, like me, Siri calls me Megan, (laughs) but, um, you can find me there and, um, at the help at studentloanplanner.com, that'll get to me too. So if you have a specific question or, um, want to ask any, anything at all, just email help at studentloanplanner.com. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, she slayers, please like share this with your fellow chiropractors. Um, because legit, this is, this is the best conversation that I've heard, like the best advice compacted into 45 minutes for chiropractors that will change. I mean, I don't mean to be dramatic, but like <laughs> it'll change people's life. Like this, this conversation, uh, yeah. so share it with other chiropractors um, and reach out to um, student loan planner. And um, until next week, she slayers. Bye. Bye. Hey, she slayers. Are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? SCED has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. 
Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission, and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCED because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait. 